All right, well, we're gonna be uh, out of Jeremiah 6 for a little bit, but we're gonna be uh, jumping around. Um, but before we get into that, we had an amazing time on Friday night. Who, uh, who was able to, uh, to attend? Yeah, it was uh, amazing. It was our first healing and deliverance uh, night uh, with the Collinses, right? It's kind of tough to say, Collinses. Um, and anyhow, we're going to be doing this uh, once a month uh, at first. We'll see what kind of attraction and energy we can get. But powerful time of worship, powerful time of teaching, and powerful time of healing and deliverance. I mean, you have to help me out, but I know my dad's uh, knee was healed. I know, well, yeah, clap it up to the Lord. Like, literally, he was sitting there, boom, healed. Uh, a woman who had uh, tightness in her chest uh, was, uh, was gone. A woman in uh, pain in her shoulder that went. What else went? Yeah, uh, a lady came up with pain in her back. Oh, Sharon, our very own Sharon had uh, uh, you know feelings of arthritis in her hand, also pain in her back, and she was touching uh, the floor. By the time she left, and I'm sure there were others. Well, I know one person I haven't quite confirmed it quite yet, but it seems to be someone that was watching on Facebook Live said, "Boom, uh, I'm healed now." Now, there was like, I don't know, it was pretty much a replica of, of this right now. It was about 30 to 40 people, I think, uh, that came out. It was a very, very powerful time, guys. So we are excited about what the Lord is doing here, and we're excited to do that. Well, Jim, we, we do that every Sunday, of course, time of prayer at the end, but something special about right, gathering together on for a special uh, reason. And so we will be doing that, and uh, we'll probably be shooting for the end of uh, August at some point, right? Um, so we'll be doing that. Kids are pounding out on the face. I think I know who that is on the drum side. It's all good. Is it you? Yeah? I thought it was people. It's not happening outside my head. It's awesome, man. We got the, uh, the, 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 I want to say the future worship team, but that's not true. They're worshipers as well. They're down there worshiping, so it's awesome. All right, let's, uh, let's uh, open up Jeremiah 6, as I said. Today's uh, message, uh, we're going to see how this works. It may become a little mini-series. I'm not sure yet. We'll just see how the Lord works with all this. Um, and it's uh, the notion of the art and value of the heirloom. And so uh, we'll be talking into that today. Today is really uh, building a, 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 a foundation to this uh, series of messages. Okay? So please be... Bear with me today because they're, you know, we're, we're after really laying down a foundation, a foundation stone for people are all in unison in the way that they're thinking so that we can really do a, a good job in teaching out of some of these, what we're calling, or I'm calling heirloom seeds, okay? And not everyone's a gardener, so we gotta like lay that out there so people can understand. I know Michael Hampton is, I've been seeing his, his cukes on, uh, on, on Facebook. Cucumbers, yeah. All right, Jeremiah 6, 16. For thus has the Lord of hosts said. <laughs> it's the wrong verse. That's funny. Someone Google for me. Uh, ancient paths, Jeremiah. Please. Ancient paths. Like yeah, it is. Yeah, ancient paths. Six sixteen. Six sixteen. That's what I was doing. I oh, you're right. I did six. I, I did 16. six six. There you go. 
Well, that's slightly, slightly less embarrassing. Okay, six, 16. All right, cool. Here we go. Thus says the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you'll find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Now, I said this is one of my favorite verses, but I'm not really the math person in the family. Michelle used to be the math teacher. She, she likes the numbers. Numbers and I don't have a great relationship. Um, but I love this verse. Dealing with the ancient paths, the old paths, where the good way is. Essentially, when there is trouble and you need to find rest for your soul, you should be looking to these old paths. These ancient paths. What's interesting here is the Lord is saying via uh, Jeremiah that actually I've told you to do this, but yet you have not listened. And you will not listen. It's a very interesting kind of concept. So Lord, we, uh, we come before you. And we thank you for what you're doing in this house. And I pray, Lord, that, well, interesting enough that we could just be fertile soil to receive these heirloom seeds that I believe you're depositing at Bristol Hope Assembly. And all God's people said amen. Right. So, ancient things, ancient paths. It's funny because actually many people uh, view old things as, well, old and antiquated and doesn't work well and not as good as, right? But it's very interesting because the Lord is speaking and saying, actually, you should be looking to those older paths. Uh, and it's uh, important to acknowledge something, especially for us young bucks here. Very important. It's important for us to acknowledge that uh, we did not get here, whether in a spiritual sense or in a physical sense, without all of the people who have gone before us, right? The old saying is right, we are mere dwarves, right? standing on the shoulders of giants. Have you ever heard that saying before? Yeah. Come on, let's think about this in the physical and also in the spiritual. Uh, we, we, we've gotten here because of past people's vision, because of their work, and in fact, their revelation. You know, we're like, wow, look at the light bulbs. Well, let me tell you something. We don't have light bulbs if there wasn't first some person who's rubbing sticks together and generating the concept of fire. Right? Wow, we can put a man on the moon, and now we're even having private businesses that are offering, you know, travels in space. Isn't that amazing? Well, it's amazing, but actually what's probably, in my opinion, even more amazing than putting a shuttle in space is someone who develops a kite. Right? Like you can't have a space shuttle until someone develops the notion of harnessing the wind, yeah. right? causing having the air right pull you up. Is actually how right airplanes work, right? And, and propulsion and all of it. So what's amazing here is both in the physical and in the spiritual, you have to pause. We have to realize how much of a dwarf we may be on top of the shoulders of giants who have come before us, right? And as a generation, or as a younger generation. Uh, we sometimes have a tendency to forget that, right? Because young people, we know better, and we know what's best. Yeah. Now, this whole uh, kind of acknowledgement here is, uh, it's, it's, it's true just, it's, it's true not just for uh, physical advancements, but I really do believe the Lord is speaking uh, that it's also true for spiritual advancements and spiritual revelation. And what I mean by that, I've been around long enough to see that every 10 years is a new thing, right? There's a new teaching. There's a new idea. And they're good. Oh, they're good. 
But what has tends to happen in the church, through my experience, is the church essentially has like a spiritual ADD. Okay? We go to the new thing, right? Right, the '70s. There was something. I'm not, not going to mention anything because I don't want to like offend anyone, and I want to offend you know certain ministries that are all very good. But essentially, we jump. We jump from what was really cool in the '70s, and it became really. And something else was in the '80s, and something else was in the '90s, and something else in, uh, in the 2000s, and something else now. And they're not bad. They're all good things. But what we have a tendency to happen is we we move and we forget. We forget about these things that our spiritual ancestors have laid down for us that were amazing. And I think we should be looking to and holding on to. So you know, I believe that in a sense, like many people have traded things in the spirit that, that have worked and that work well and are time tested uh, and traded in for more modern and flashy things. And you know, you could just take a pause right now. I'm not going to mention anything because I don't want to judge nor offend, but let's think about those things that churches may do, which are not inherently bad. They're not inherently bad, right? To the pure, all things are pure. But things that we do that are new and flashy, uh, whether it's to you know, the physical, uh, practical sides of ministry, even in the spirit, that are good, but actually may not be as effective as things that worked in the past. So, that's kind of where we're going on with this, and um, there's another kind of concept besides uh, just this kind of notion of these paths, or the, past, the past paths. Um, you guys, um, you, ever, you ever hear of heirloom seeds? Yeah. Right? So heirloom seeds are a really kind of interesting thing. So some people may, those that are gardeners, understand the practice of heirloom seeds. But I imagine that uh, all of us, most likely, at their house have some heirloom from their ancestors, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, those physical items that are handed down. Maybe they're actually valued and they're worth a lot of money. Or maybe just like some kind of junky knickknack. You're like, oh, gave me one of these things? Another thing, right? Everyone's got one, right? Um, but there's a valued object in the family, and sometimes they have some kind of collected story. So I want to use that to try to lay a foundation to what I'm trying to uh, teach in, the sp in the spirit today. So here is a recent heirloom that I, res that, that I got. Beautiful, Dave. It's, it, it was my great-grandmother's. I just got it like two weeks ago from my aunt down in Florida. I was like, thanks. <laughs> it's like, thanks. I look at what Bob says made in England. All right, you know, it's like, she probably she got that literally over 100 years ago, right? It's like, ah, thanks. I, I mean, I don't know what to do with it. I have to be quite honest. I mean, I know what I want to do with it, but I don't have the heart to do it, right? <laughs> story behind it. There's no telling about it. There's no meaning behind it. I hope you guys are not offended. It's just a prop, okay? Please don't be offended. It's just a prop. Okay? Here's another heirloom. Okay? My grandfather's pipe. Okay? Charles uh, Greenham. Now, this, this comes with a story. It's an heirloom that has a story. And it's time on a key. 
and I'm going to have to give it to someone one day. This right here, the way the story goes is this. There's a young kid in his mid-twenties, Charles Greenockle from Long Island, New York, uh, who's a baseball player, and he's pretty good. Actually, uh, played with the uh, various uh, spring training teams of the New York Yankees. Uh, then World War II happens, so he gets called up and he goes off to fight, and he just so happens to be called up with General Patton, and uh, he pretty much goes in just a couple days after D-Day, and he's on the beaches of Normandy. And he has, guess what, in his backpack? A pipe. He goes out and he's fighting, and uh, he gets hit with shrapnel all down the right side of his body from the Nazis. Drops his backpack, of course, and they pull him out of the front line, and he's sitting there, shrapnel on the side of his body, and he sees a guy walk out, this is the way the story goes, like another kid smoking a pipe, and my grandfather says, wait a minute, where'd you get that pipe? Kid says, well, someone dropped it, obviously, at the front line, and I grabbed it. He's like, that's my pipe. And so, the young kid gave it to the other young kid, who was my grandfather, and he sits there, and he puts, I guess, he gets some tobacco or whatever, and he's smoking it right there, and he's sitting there, realizing that what is over. His professional baseball career is done. Shrapnel all down the side of his body. It's a picture. So this heirloom has a story. This heirloom teaches you something. Teaches me something. Sometimes you need to give up your dream in order to serve a grander purpose. And that grander purpose comes with a sacrifice. is there's no story. There's no telling. There's no giving of the story. Yeah. And so it's lost. Maybe Michelle wants it. <laughs> she was the one that originally took it. <laughs> so, if you haven't caught on yet, I believe that in the spirit, there are heirlooms. There are valued spiritual things that have been handed down throughout the centuries. That either we grab them and we have no idea what they are, you're like, whatever, it's junk. Or it has a value to it because there's a story and a significance about it. Amen? Amen. And so, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at this is by looking at this concept of gardening heirloom seeds. Right? Now bear with me, Jesus taught in parable, so I'm within my biblical confidence here. Heirloom seeds versus like mass-produced seeds. Essentially, I want to make it real simple, right? Seeds that you buy at Burpees or you buy at Home Depot, you buy at Walmart, they're, they're, they're like your standard seeds. Some of them are GMO, some of them are genetically unmodified, some of them are just like the main seed that we like to use, okay? There are the ones that are mass-produced and there are the ones that are advertised. And it's the ones that you buy at the grocery store, right? When you buy tomatoes, you buy carrots. They're all coming from a certain line of seeds. But there's this other type of seed known as an heirloom seed that is not mass-produced. Actually, literally, it was handed down through families. Like, we have seeds that go back hundreds of years that literally, you plant them, you 
grab them, you save them, you hand them off to the next generation. Amen. It's amazing. Now, a little harder to find. You can go to different heirloom heritage seed companies online. I've done that. We've done that. And really interesting things happen. For example, um, you can have a carrot that's purple. You guys ever eat, eaten a, a carrot that's purple? Um, there are literally about 10,000 varieties of tomatoes. Red tomatoes, blue tomatoes, green tomatoes, yellow tomatoes, orange tomatoes, brown tomatoes. And since Talia here, just a little research, uh, guess where the tomato was, uh, was cultivated? South America. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> but I always had a tomato, right? Italy, Italy, right, right, of course, right? But it was actually, it was brought over by monks and priests to, to Italy. Yeah, yeah. 10,000 varieties. So what we have here is, uh, you know, let me just take a look, right? You guys ever had the, uh, the famous mortgage lifter tomato? This is an heirloom seed, man. It, it was called the mortgage lifter because the, per, the person who carried down the seed said, you get so much pound of flesh on the seed of the tomato that like you could, when selling these tomatoes, you could pay off your mortgage. That's where you get to say the mortgage lifter. Oh, here it is. You guys ever have the Cherokee purple? Woo! Cherokee purple, I am telling you that this tomato variety was in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> if you have never had the Cherokee purple, you haven't lived. This is, uh, it was uh, generated and cultivated by uh, the Cherokee uh, uh, tribe down on, in the mountains of North Carolina, Tennessee. They've saved it, they've kept it, kept the heirloom alive. And they passed it on. It's incredible. Incredible. Tomato. Okay. Now, let's try to slowly bring these things together. Look, I can't, look the way it works here, you have to understand, and there's spiritual principles to this. Okay? I'm going to explain the parable now. There's spiritual significance to this. Look, we like carrots that are orange, and we buy carrots that are orange because we believe carrots aren't to be orange and not be purple. Like, you cannot go to the grocery store and be like, yo, you got any purple carrots? And be like, what are you talking about? You can? So it might be like, you know, some hippy-dippy, you know, all-natural <laughs> food store. Absolutely, right? But that's the whole thing. The main line, please, you're not getting a purple carrot at Giant. Right? Tomatoes. Well, you know, tomatoes are supposed to be red. They're supposed to be symmetrical. That's, yeah, that's the way they are, right? That's what, you're, what you get. But you have to understand that in the physical and also in the spirit, what's going on here is this. These beliefs that we hold to these types of seeds and food products is really a byproduct of corporations. In order to sell, in order to limit their production costs, they speed up production by only selling a certain variety and specific variety. But it comes at a cost. It comes as an, as an absolute cost. For example, heirloom seeds are better in nutrition, far better, usually. They have diversity, and because of that diversity, they can withstand things far better than the mass-produced seeds. Uh, the Cherokee purple, since it's from North Carolina, is really phenomenal at withstanding humidity. Okay? It's really, really good for that. 
Now, there is a certain hubris, there's a, a certain resiliency to these heirloom seeds that are not mass-produced and not, as the hipsters call, not corked out, right? They're not all been incorporated. Uh, and so here's something that really kind of bizarre. I don't know if you've ever seen this. This is Svalbard, Norway, uh, where uh, there is the first and only seed bank on planet Earth. Trying to save seeds. If you go to the video, please. The seed belt is a facility in Svalbard, closer to the North Pole and the Arctic Circle. And uh, it's built inside of a mountain, and it's a facility where we're storing duplicate copy of most of the crop diversity in the world. People are excited about the seatbelt and they think of it as the insurance policy in case of doomsday or whatever, but that's that's not it. It's not the building, it's not the tunnel, it's not the seatbelt. It's the seats, it's the diversity inside the seatbelt that's the real insurance. Sometimes people say, why do you need all this diversity? Can't you just save the best variety of cabbage or rice. People don't realize there's a huge turnover of varieties in the field and so you may think that the loaf of bread that you're eating today tastes just the same as it did 10 years ago and is made with the same varieties of wheat or whatever as it was 10 years ago. I can assure you that's not the case. Diversity ensures us against everything we know is coming and everything we don't know. All right. So a little abrupt ending, it goes on, but it was the, 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 the meat of it, if you will, the meat of the tomato of, of, of the video. Uh, look, it's, it's this, there's a seed bank in Norway where they're saving these other varieties of seeds. Cause like, no one does it. They're gonna disappear, they're gonna be gone. And these things have been a treasure on planet Earth. And like, what happens if a, a virus or a disease or a plague that really fixates itself on one variety of crop? Right? There's certain bugs that really, really like the one variety. And if they eat up all one variety and we lost the seeds, my goodness, maybe we're going to like lose a, a type of food stuff that we've had forever. And so they're saving it up on the Arctic Circle. It's really, really kind of phenomenal. And I know it's a little bizarre, but let's try to bring it all together here instead. Is the failure to implement spiritual heirlooms happening in the big seed church? Old ways of thinking and old truths that we may have forgotten about. An old way of doing things. Um, have, uh, look, new ways are good, but sometimes they're not as good as the older ways. Right? Sometimes when we do things new, we forget about the old way. For example, like, you know, the new way of doing worship is a stage and, you know, equipment. This is a practical example, right? We have grown so accustomed to having electronics and equipment. What happens if that's not available anymore under some weird circumstance? Or you're out on the mission field. Would all of you be able to come together and worship without the assistance of these instruments? Would you be able to do that? The vast majority of you, oh, I would say a good percentage of you would, would not be able to because it would be too awkward. Like, I don't know if I can do that. 
But like in the early church, it's like there's no like guitar, right? Like or, or in, 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 you can't you can't do these things because oh my goodness, like you know it's illegal to meet, and so that's an old way of doing things that we have kind of actually forgotten about. That's just an example. Uh, a, a second kind of question: Have we forsaken spiritual health, effectiveness, and resiliency for a form of Christianity based on corporate interests? A corporate way of doing church. What I mean by corporate, I mean the coming together. I mean corporate as in like a business model. Yeah. Right? What I mean by it is like, how do we get as many people into the church as possible? How do we grow in physical manners? Which kind of policies can we put forth in order to grow a church? Look, there's a certain way of doing things that will be more enticing to the lost, right? What is like your cheap grace message? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Are, are, are there things that we are doing that are actually not as actually spiritually healthy and not as effective and don't have the same type of resiliency when trouble comes. Let's take a look at Proverbs 1. Verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. What we have here in the Proverbs, right? You listen to your father uh, and listen to the teachings of your mother. Uh, and what we essentially have here is I believe that the Lord is reminding us that we need to listen to the past lessons. We need to listen to some of the past voices. We need to listen to the confessions of our faith. Amen. And not just be so concerned about generating the new ones and the new idea. And the new fancy quote that we can put on social media. Like, sit in some of the teachings of the past. I do believe that there's a, a real restoration that takes place with that. We see this in Malachi 4. I know I'm reading into it a little bit, but I, I believe in the spirit that there's something that's going on here. Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in horror for all Israel with his statutes and judgments. Now, this is a famous portion of scripture. It's the last verses of the older covenant in the chronology of the Christian Bible. In Judaism, they have a different order of the, of the scriptures. Verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, a lot of times we preach out of this and say, okay, this is going to be a restoration of generations, Right? That the young ones and the older ones will be in unity. And I am in a complete agreement with that. And I think that's the, the first reading of it. But I was just pressing to the Lord. And I, I feel like there's a secondary uh, uh, kind of view of this. And it's this. That the messages, the good messages of the past generations. And the good messages of the new generation. Can come together and really build up the kingdom. So I'm just telling you, as a younger minister, there's a lot of new, fresh words and revelation, which are really good and really awesome. But it's like, man, but what about what was going and being taught 100 years ago? Like, I, I love, like, the grace of the Lord, and I love the love of the Lord, and I love that he leaves the 99 to come for me. But what happened to the old holiness teaching? What, what, what happened to the, to the notion that he saves you and he leaves in 99 to call you into a place of holiness? 
many Gen Zs are getting that message? But it's an heirloom seed. It's there, and obviously, some people abused that seed, didn't they? Right? Doesn't mean you throw it out. It means you save it, you give it to another person to plant it. So, I believe this. I believe it's a little bit of a prophetic message, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I believe. You have to go back, Josh. It's doing its thing again. Keep going, keep going. Yeah. Uh, I believe that there is a, a seed bank in the spirit that has been given to us by those who have gone before us. Uh, and I'm going to be so bold to say this. I believe Bristol Hope Assembly is to be likened unto a seed bank. Reminding believers of the ancient paths and their heirloom seeds. Look, you know, when people are going around shopping, if you will, or, or I don't know if that's the wrong way, but that, are, are investigating different church churches to be a part of. I remember when Michelle and I were dating, we went to like every church in Bucks County to try to find the one that would work for us as we significantly started to think about coming together as a, as a family unit, right? You know, the conversations started to be had, like, I think this is a long-term relationship that's happening, all right? She went to one place, I went to another place, where are we going to go, what's going to fit and work for us, right? We went all around, and we went all over the place, and it was, uh, it was interesting because when you do that, you know, you can see a place that's like the worship church, right? Fantastic, powerful, awesome worship. You go to another place, and it's like, man, every time you show up, there's a prophetic word, and it's like the prophetic church is incredible. Then you go to another place, and like, oh, man, they have this awesome, like, Bible teaching, a Bible doctrine kind of church. Like, this is awesome. You go to another place, and they have a, a good and healthy view of the social gospel. Like, I know sometimes we talk about the social gospel as a negative thing, but there's, there's a, a good part of going out and being the hands and feet of Jesus and, like, alleviating the pain and suffering of humankind. It is a part of the gospel, but it must come with the full gospel, right? And, you know, just doing all this, it's like, hey, man, can Bristol Hope Assembly be, I don't know, all of it? Like, can we be all of it? But here's the thing. In order to be all of it, you need to cultivate all of the seeds that have been handed down to us as believers in the Spirit throughout the generations. If we neglect certain seeds because we think the other seeds are more flashy and are more important, you're not going to be a truly full gospel church. Amen? We need, in short, to value, to value the revelations, the teachings, the understanding that previous generations have brought to the table. And not just gravitate towards, you know, one type of thing. Right? A lot of there's certain ministries that are just the ministries are fine because it's, it's ministry. It's a parachurch ministry, so it's got a different role in the kingdom. But when churches start to simply just gravitate to one element, right, you exhaust the soil. That's a good word, man. You exhaust the soil. And so you don't know, see it. You know, if you're really in a church that's really plugged into the Holy Spirit. Worship is out of control good. 
but there's no sound doctrine of teaching, you produce, you know, some wacky people. Yes. <laughs> and we all could attest to that. And then if you go to a church that's got really good sound doctrine, but, you know, the Holy Spirit is not governing worship, you have a very dry place. And, you know, this is what I'm trying to do. You can exhaust the soil. So we need to cultivate the heirloom seeds. Amen? Amen. All right, let's turn to 1 Kings. Hoping this kind of, <clears throat> hoping this kind of sort of makes sense. It's a little out there. First Kings chapter 18, <clears throat> verse 32. Those that know the story, don't, don't give the punchline of earlier. First Kings chapter 18, verse 32. This is the story of Elijah getting ready to you know, kick butt in the spirit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Need an interpretation of tongues for the phone? Anyone? Interpretation? Silly, but like you know, oh, you know, we're not going to practice the heirloom of the of the of the praying and speaking in tongues because we're like spooked, you know, what people are going to think, or you know, when there needs to be an interpretation, when there doesn't need to be interpretation. Oh no, so we're just not going to do it, dude. There's power that comes when people are rejoicing and singing and praying in tongues, right? And when it's done in a good, orderly way, like, things like crack a kingdom goes forward, man. You know, so it's a funny little rem reminder there, but. This is the story of Elijah, right? He's going up against the prophets of Baal, or Baal, but Baal, right? Um, that is taking place. And it says here in verse 32 of chapter 18, then when the stones, or sorry, then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two sayas of seed. Very interesting. The trench is to hold the seed, but what we see here is Elijah is building the altar, right? He's getting it ready to say, which God do you serve, right? You guys know that story, right, for the most part? Uh, but what's interesting here is if you go back to, to verse 30, uh, it actually says, then Elijah said to all the people come near to me, so all the people came near to him, and he didn't build the altar, he repaired the altar. That's good. So you say, see, the generation is not supposed to build a new altar to the Lord. We have too many ministries that are doing that. Trying to reinvent the entire wheel. You're building a new altar. The scripture says here with Elijah, you don't build a new altar. You tap into the foundation stones and the stones that previous generations have made to rebuild it. Because when the fathers and the sons come together in the spirit, it is going to be an, an, an ushering in, Malachi, for a prophecy of the coming of Yeshua, the coming of Jesus. Right? So what happens if you always are rehashing, you're always redefining, you're always remaking, you're forgetting about all of that that came before. It's a waste of time. Because you got to build all over again. If the foundation was true, and if it was good, rebuild it, repair it rather. Right? And so we need to do that. So, okay, the altar. The altar, of course, is a place of sacrifice, right? You put the animal on there, and you sacrifice it unto the Lord. 
And of course, yes, repairing in the altars is, is repairing us, right? We need to be repaired before the Lord. We need to get things right to create an appropriate altar. Amen. And I think there's a lot of teachings out there for that. There's a lot of good teachings out there for that. But here's the thing. I, I believe that the church and the functions of the church also act as a type of altar, like a communal altar. That communal altar needs to be repaired. The worship team going down. It needs to be repaired. Now, Elijah repaired the altars. Why did he do it? Because, well, it's real simple. The reason why you have to repair something is because the structure was neglected for so long. Okay? So, the altar of Israel unto the one true God was neglected. Now, the question here is, why are the old things of the church, the old things that worked so well in the past, why are they neglected? I think that they are purposely neglected because they are viewed to be old-fashioned. They're viewed to be antiquated. Like, oh, a hymn. That's like so old. Well, dude, dude hymns are power in them, right? Right? The old-fashioned healing and deliverance service. There's power in that, right? Old-school evangelism. There's power in that. Right? But many of us will, will say, well, now nah, they're old-fashioned. We have better ways. We have better ways of doing things. We have more modern ways of doing things. And I'm not against modern ways. But I'm not for using modern ways at an expense of not using certain things that were effective and spirit-filled in the past. Okay? And so I think in ancient Israel, and I think sometimes in the big C church today, we all shout, the people shout, we have a better way. Right? We have a better way of doing things. The problem here is the better ways can quickly become false gods. Now let's try not to look at the worship team right now. They're just walking back and forth. Plug it into the word right now. The better ways quickly become False gods in the church and in the heart. Look, there you are. There's temptations out the wazoo as uh, church leadership to incorporate and do things in a business model that these charts show will ensure that more people come. Okay? There are messages I could preach that will be more welcoming to certain people. There's a time frame that it's not an, a 45 minute message, man. Like, do you, do you know what the, the average is at the recommendation? A 20. It's a new way. I mean, people's attention spans. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Come on, man. That's an expense. And it agrees me. Some false gods have crept up into the church, you know? I've said it before. Celebrity status. Right? Go to go to the church or go to the, the place where there's the celebrity person, the celebrity worship team. The false gods of uh, the ego. The false god of the gospel just simply being a, a thing of self-help without sacrifice. I'll be quite honest, the big one, the big one that is the biggest god, lowercase g, in the church, the big C church, and that is entertainment. 
Look, newsflash, church is not a place for the entertainment of the self. If it was, we'd get you in for 20 minutes, give a quick message, three worship songs, and you're out. Right? It is not a place of entertainment. It is a place of priesthood. It is a place where the priests of God come together to minister shocker to the heart of God. It's a place where the first thing upon our minds and our lips is, Lord, not what you can do for me. How can I minister to you? To get healthy. It's a place to serve God. And a byproduct of that is health. Come on, man. The church is a holy congregation. A holy assembly. Where you come together. And the requirement is, is to bring up an incense of fire to the Lord. That's what priests do. We minister to God minister to each other. But the purpose of the ministry of each other is that we all can be transformed into priests. So we all can be transformed into the image of Jesus. Guys, that's so old school, so spiritual heirloom seeds that it goes back to Genesis 1. And in the garden he fashioned man. Have communion with him. That's so you can be entertained. Go to the movies if you want to be entertained. us to really dig into this. What essentially we have to do is we, we, we need to repair the fallen altars. We need to repair and look to the seeds of our faith. Give them value and cultivate them again in the church. I want to go through a couple forgotten seeds and I'm, I'm believing that those areas of forgotten seeds will actually turn into sermons. Okay? Like I said, today is really to lay down a grid. Lay down a grid for people to understand this, this, this gardening technique and this idea that we've, we've turned away from some of the heirloom seeds so that we can have a tomato that's perfectly round. It can be bought for a buck twenty-nine at the Acme. What about a seed that's been cultivated from the, the Cherokee people, handing down from people to people, that deep nutrition, deep effectiveness, and a resiliency to the travails of life? Get what I'm saying? All right, I'm going to go through a couple. There's plenty more, but we're just going to go through a couple. All right? the, the first seed that I think needs to be cultivated again is this, the first century seed. The first century church.
grow the church larger. It was like, I need to get out from the four walls of our house and our house church and go out and bring the kingdom. Bring healing. Bring restoration. Not to build up a church in our own name, but so that there will be more churches that can go throughout the kingdom and throughout the empire.
strong. Like, preach your word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort. But all long-suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is brilliant. Look at this. How prophetic is this? But according to their own desires, because we, the people, have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned aside to fables. But you, oh Timothy, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. People will get tingling ears, and they're going to want to hear the, 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 the things that make them real happy, and, and obviously just happen, you know what I'm saying, right? There's got to be a place of sound doctrine. Come on, sound doctrine. Jesus is the only way. Sound doctrine. There is a heaven, but there is a hell, and it burns with fire, and there's a gnashing of teeth. I mean, you know, old school kind of teaching. Uh, the next one, only a couple more. Uh, the Protestant Reformation in 1517. Yeah, they were protesting the Catholic Church. Saying that there's no need of a Pope and saying that there's no reason to have a mediator of the Pope, right? But, or praying to saints. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is He, Jesus Christ, right? As it says in Scripture. You don't pay for the for the indulgences of sin, right? You don't do that, right? It's not by works that we come to faith. It's by grace and grace alone. Uh, the Protestant Reformation also taught that, get a load of this, that the Bible should be read in the common language. And worship should be done in the common language, not in the Latin, so no one knows what you're saying or what you're reading. Those are all beautiful things uh, that Martin Luther and the other Protestant reformers were doing. But there's another one that we need to really get back to the church again. It's this. And it's the priesthood of all believers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own speech, uh, people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. be a priest means you don't look to Dave to study the word. To be a priest means you don't look to Mario to usher into worship. To be a priest is that you do all of that. Like you do that because you're a priest before God. It's not the YouTube channel that's doing it for you. Like you literally should have some time of shutting off the music and you generating praise. Because you're a priest. Next group. Come on out! Don't touch the 
And then I will welcome you. We need to get down to the church. Next, the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s. It's a powerful seed, a powerful heirloom seed that was deposited. And what came out of that was a revelation that God is a respecter of no person. Like you don't have to be all polished and, and together in order to be used by God. Like this is a movement out of a bunch of hippies. Long hair, big beards, sandals, ripped jeans that are speaking and evangelizing with power and fire. Who last week was a prostitute, but this week they're born again. He's a respecter of no one. It's a urgency and a call for us to step into higher places of things, no matter who we were. Another one, church is not based on business models. This is actually a, a destructuring of this. What happened was is they were pushing people out of the church. Like, look, you, could be, you, you can go out and reach people outside of the church. And you don't have to do things in this kind of business model. And by doing that, it was this belief that the church is to be active and alive outside of these walls. Like, you got to go do something, people. You need to go out and preach the gospel. You need to go out and have Bible studies in your home. You have to go out and invite people over and pray for them. you got to do something. It's not all in a corporate setting. It needs to be done in your daily life. The last one, as we close up, and why don't we stand, is the one that I am most excited about. really, really needs to happen in the church again. And it's the heirloom seed of spiritual warfare. Amen. Some of you youngins may not remember like some of these albums and stuff, but Worship and Warfare by Morningstar. Guys, I, I remember being 16, 17 years of age. Like, in all night, all night, warfare time. I'm not talking about like sitting and receiving from the Lord. I mean going to battle for your town. I mean going to battle for your family. I mean declaring praise and fire and warfare in the Holy Ghost. It was a seed that was deposited that I think largely has been forgotten. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all of disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I 
Let's get going, come on. We'll close out a little bit.